Hello and welcome to the third episode in our Future of Work hybrid working podcast series. Today I'm joined by Adam Sinfield, no relation, who is a senior immigration manager in our immigration team. And we've been re- working really closely recently in advising clients who are thinking about introducing working from anywhere policies to enable their employees to work cross-border on a permanent basis with Adam advising on immigration considerations. So today, Adam is going to share with us some of the main need-to-knows on the immigration front. Adam, hello, and thanks very much for joining. Hi, Olivia. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Um, So to kick us off, Adam, um, is adoption of a working-from-anywhere model, which we're hearing about at the moment, um, advisable, would you say, from an immigration perspective? Uh, It's certainly entirely possible to have a cross-border and hybrid working uh, model, but I wouldn't advise clients do this without a proper uh, thought process and assessment of the risks involved uh, before they decide on the company's position, as often employees are not aware of all the risks that are involved, either for themselves or their business. So looking at the immigration risks, there is a large spread of possibilities and people need to understand these before they decide what to do. For example, An employee wanting to spend a short period working from what may be their country of nationality, for example, wouldn't have any immigration considerations. But an individual that wants a working holiday, which is what we're seeing an increasing amount of uh, in a different country, does need to be cautious. In the vast majority of cases, an individual in the latter circumstances would be in the country as a visitor. And people need to remember that this is a formal visa like any other. And with this comes varying degrees of what is allowed and what isn't. It's therefore important to understand the specific rules for the country that the individual is visiting, as the permitted activities do vary significantly. Okay. And one thing I've heard is that um, it is okay, and you might have to put me right here, it's okay uh, for employees to go to another country and work there for up to around about 90 days. Is, is that correct? Not entirely. Um, As a general rule, most countries do allow visitors for up to 90 days in a 180 day period. The UK actually being an exception where it's 180 days in any 360. But it doesn't mean that the individuals can work during that period. As I just mentioned, each country has its own rules of what you can and cannot do. And again, as a general rule, most countries, whilst you're in their territory as a visitor, will allow you to perform certain work tasks during this period, so long as it's for your home employer and internal to the business rather than client facing. So, for example, if you were to visit a country, you can often attend conferences and trade fairs, for example, but you couldn't sell anything at those conferences or trade fairs that you're attending. Some countries, however, do, of course, have a much stricter approach to this. Okay, go on then, Adam. Tell us which countries have a more stricter approach. And if you've got some examples from different jurisdictions, that would be great. Yeah, it's I mean, obviously, the amount of countries there are, there's there's hundreds. But take some of the common examples that we've been advising on the US, for example. Uh, If you were to travel to the US just on a simple ESTA, because Brits are non-visa nationals, you can attend business meetings and attend trade fairs, but you can't carry out what they call productive work. And this has a very broad definition. In the UK, uh, as an example, this is expanded and also allows things like maintenance on machinery, repairs under the provisions of the services of a contract, for example. But in China, you can't attend trade fairs or undertake any repairs or maintenance. So there's a huge spectrum. It very much depends on the specifics of what the individual is going to be doing whilst they're there. 
so it sounds pretty country specific that's it and and where does the risk sit um, of getting this wrong Adam is it with the employee or is it with the employer unfortunately it can be both now in reality it's predominantly for the employee but this does vary from country to country at the severe end of the spectrum for, for the company this could include fines and particularly if they have a corporate presence in that country they could be looking at sanctions against them such as if that country employs migrant workers like in the UK has a sponsor license that could be in jeopardy if they breach it there is of course additional reputational risks and the effect on the staff themselves for the individual the risk could be much more severe and that could include fines for them possible detention removal from the country and travel bans from re-entering Okay, so what sort of uh, practical advice have you been given to clients around this? So the main advice with clients has been to highlight that that general risk, but then really try to understand what their business case for adopting a flexible working policy is, as most uh, businesses are looking at this at the moment. We, in order to advise properly, we really need to understand explicitly what they want to achieve as well as their risk appetite including input from other service lines that are incredibly important here and often uh, equal or more important than the immigration requirements such as around tax, employment, regulatory requirements and data in particular to get a full profile together. Once that's been done, we can then help them put in place a clear policy for all their staff based around this and try to include any risk mitigation strategies uh, that we can. This policy can then be reviewed on a regular basis to ensure it remains fit for purpose. So. As an example, Olivia, uh, I recently assisted a large multinational with their policy around this, and they, they were quite relaxed about their approach to the risk. So what we did was we devised a traffic light system uh, similar to the, the COVID rules, but of course we did this first, I'd like to say, whereby green countries could be visited without needing any form of approval, amber list countries required approval from HR, and red countries were a simple no-go. It was essential though to ensure with this that regular reviews are undertaken uh, to ensure that the decisions about the listing of the countries was objectively justifiable particularly with regards to uh, potential discrimination discrimination issues that may arise yeah and i guess which countries sit in which category it's an ever-changing feat isn't it exactly exactly so for example you at the moment you wouldn't want anybody to go and work in syria because of the safety risks or iran because generally uh, particularly if they're using laptops because of the data risks that's yeah. objectively justifiable okay and is there anything else that you're telling clients they should be aware of or should be thinking about always of course there is um but particularly when it comes to an immigration perspective when you're looking at multinationals the chances are they'll have uk visa sponsor licensing so what they also need to be aware of is um, the impacts that any flexible working policy that they will have with regards to their sponsor license compliance duties especially with regards to the reporting requirements and record keeping of their migrant workers uh, it's always will be essential for them to understand when changes to a sponsored workers circumstances require notification to the home office as failure to comply with their requirements can have severe consequences like the loss of their license so if they are adopting across um, a, a full flexible working policy that will obviously also apply to their sponsored workers and they need to take that into account this can be a tricky balance um, again with discrimination issues so it does need to be carefully formulated and you know we hope that one day the home office policy with regards to all of this will actually 
catch up with the real world of work because at the moment it's still very much based around a, a nine to five in a fixed office address yeah. five days a week. Absolutely. OK, and uh, the other question that we're hearing from clients a lot at the moment is, um, as the government guidance has just changed this week and they're starting to think about reopening offices, getting people back to work, is around the issue of international travel um, and where they stand in, in relation to bre Brexit and what, what, that, what impact that has had. Now, I realise that could be a huge topic, so are you able to give just a very headline overview there? Yeah, certainly. So, of course, just you know, dealing with the, the topic of today's discussion with regards to flexible working policies and approach, it's important to remember now that Brits are third country nationals when travelling to Europe and, of course, European nationals, vice versa. So we no longer fall under any of the pan-European homogenous immigration rules. So, as I said at the at the outset of, of this discussion, we are now bound by each country's jurisdiction. So now it does make a difference whether you're traveling to France, whether you're traveling to Italy, whether you're traveling to Poland. Mm. Um, and as such, it's the same as whether you're traveling to France or the USA. We are third country nationals and we're therefore bound by each country's immigration regime. So the same advice that I've given uh, applies to every jurisdiction in the world now, not just those outside Europe. Yeah, understood. So overall, Adam, and thanks very much for uh, all of that. Um, it sounds to me that businesses really need to be weighing up the benefits of being a flexible future thinking organisation when it comes to workforce strategies and allowing people to work um, permanently overseas and thinking about benefits like employee engagement and their standing in the market. Um, but against the potential risks and in doing that should be considering each case on a fact country specific basis rather than applying any blanket policy. Uh, would you say that's a fair overview? Yeah, I would. I think it's important to stress that it is very achievable um, okay. and there, there is a wide amount of options out there. Again, I'm, I'm talking purely from the immigration considerations. It's a it's a much broader topic than purely mobility. Um, but companies need to be aware of the various risks and what their appetite is. As I say, companies with a very flexible um, attitude towards the risk because primarily the risk does fall on the individual, not the company. It doesn't mean exclusively, of course, that they, you can sometimes afford to have quite a flexible approach. Yeah. Some companies will have no appetite to risk because of the potentials, particularly if it's in a market that they're already operating where the risk will be greater, for example, and won't want to take it. So. It, it very much requires detailed analysis across a cross spectrum of which immigration is, is one, uh, absolutely, before companies decide on the policy that they're going to take to go forwards. Yeah. Well, Adam, thanks ever so much for joining us today. I think you've certainly helped everyone going into this eyes wide open on the immigration front. And um, so in the next podcast in this hybrid working series, I will be talking to Becky Crawford from our commercial disputes team um, about commercial risks and considerations around going hybrid. So thank you again to Adam and thank you everyone for tuning in.